0: Club, the newest podcast in the Merely of Pythons Radio Network. Um, first off, we'd like to shout out to Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre, the uh, the podfather, and what what's the what's the character's name in the Godfather that uh, <laughs> breaks people's legs or whatever? I think that's what Owen thought he might that role he might play there.
1: <laughs> he, he associates best with.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I can't remember the character's name anyway. Um, so thanks to Eric and Owen for getting this thing rolling and, and, uh, we're excited to be a part of this, uh, this rapidly increasing group of podcasts. It's really an impressive, uh, body of work.
1: Yeah. yeah. Thanks, guys are- thanks guys. Shout out.
0: Yeah, for sure. Check out all their podcasts. Of course, we'll we'll list them all at the end, and I'm sure everybody knows who they are. If you if you're listening to this, you probably know all, all the all the others anyway. Hopefully, um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm Justin Julander. Um, you, you may have heard me a few times on the Morelia Pythons uh, radio. Um, I I've I've been on there a few times, and and uh, I'm good friends with Eric and Owen. We've done a couple of hurt trips together. Great guys. Um, so. I, I run and own uh, Australian Addiction Reptiles. Uh, I've been doing that since about 1997, 98, somewhere around there. Um, and uh, I'm, my day job, I guess, if you will, is, is a virologist at Utah State University. I'm a research professor up there and study different viral diseases of humans in, in various models. So that's kind of how I pay the bills, but reptiles have always been a passion, uh, since I was a kid, uh, and, uh, continues to grow and develop. So it's just one of those things I can't shake. Right. It's good stuff. All right. And with me is, uh, Chuck Poland. I'll let him uh, introduce himself here.
1: Yeah. Good evening. Yeah. Um, Chuck Poland. Um, I am, I'm just a hobbyist breeder. I, I don't have a, a business of any sort. Uh, I, um, I, I have an undergraduate degree in environmental science from San Diego State University. So I'm interested in, in ecology and, uh, you know, species and, and animals and nature and, and all kinds of stuff like that. But my, my day job that pays the bills is, uh, I'm a military aerospace civilian. Uh, so I work on military aircraft for a living. Um, just really always kind of, um, been into reptiles, but, but, you know, in maybe the mid nineties got into it, got hooked into Morelia pythons forum, which, you know, is anybody who's been around for a while knows how that just led into, you know, the Facebook and then, and now the, the podcast era. So uh, here we all are. Um, so, so yeah, just uh, excited to, to be a part of this and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah. good stuff. Yeah. So Chuck and I have been friends for
0: quite a while, uh, last decade or two. I mean, it's been a a little while since we met on on Morelia pythons and we've hung out a few times, done a few reptile shows together. Uh, so Chuck's a great guy. He's, he's got a lot of cool things under his belt. He was, uh, one of the first, well, the first person to breed, uh, Morelia tracier, the Helmahera scrub twice in a row, two, two years in a row. And so, uh, pretty, pretty cool accomplishment there. That's a a project that he's continuing to roll with. Um, you want to say a few words about that? That's, I don't know. It's pretty notable.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I feel pretty lucky. I, I definitely, um, you know, got blessed with a, a group that I got pretty young and just really hung in with them long term, and got to talk to great people like like you, Justin, and and Terry, Philip, and um, guys that just put a lot of great stuff in my head. So, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to reproduce them two years ago, and then again uh, last year. And and they're taking you know they're they're taking this past season off, but uh, I'm getting ready to see if we can breed them again this year. So. I've uh I'm sitting on two clutches uh so that's that's been super fun um it's you know I keep getting hit up to to move them out and I probably need to move them to people but <laughs> man it's it's awfully hard when you have them in your house to to want to let them go so I'm yeah. um, holding on to them for right now and uh yeah just uh we'll see hopefully the f- the future brings good things that's cool, man. That's cool. Thank so you. yeah, like I
0: said, Chuck and I have been uh, friends for a while and we've been, uh, you know, we, we call each other quite often and we have some really good discussions. And so kind of the idea behind the podcast, uh, reptile fight club is that we are going to kind of take on some of those heavy hitting issues in herpeticulture, herpetology, um, science in general. We'll, we'll, kind of talk about some of the topics that are hot on people's minds that may be a little controversial or contentious. And uh, so here on the podcast, either uh, Chuck and myself are going to kind of chat about a different topic and each of us will take a different side. Um, We'll decide who gets what topic by a coin toss. And so whoever wins the coin toss gets to kind of pick their uh, side that they want to uh, support or uh, go against. Um, we may have guests on, we may have one guest and, and we'll, one of us will talk while the other moderates um, on, on a certain topic, or we'll have two guests on that can talk about uh, a, a topic in the field that they're experts in. And so hopefully you guys will enjoy this. Hopefully, you know, we can get some good discussion topics and you can see kind of both sides of the coin as it were. Um, you can see both sides of the topic and kind of choose for yourself which which side you align more with, and uh, which side you know you might not be too keen on. But I, I also hope that you might be able to see the other side and be able to understand where the other side's coming from. So, um, or or maybe something you hadn't considered in in regards to that topic. So, yeah,
1: ab- absolutely. Well said.
0: Yeah, should be should be fun. Hopefully, uh, we can we can keep this rolling and get some good discussion topics on here. Um, We've been trying to line up a few shows, uh, but we thought today that we'd talk about uh, professional breeders versus hobbyist breeders. So that's kind of the topic we've chosen to kind of uh, discuss the 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 benefits or the the downsides of either of those, um, sides. And then we'll, we'll debate that today. So we're going to have a little coin toss. I've got a little quarter in my hand here <laughs> and we'll let, uh, Chuck call whether he wants heads or tails. If he wins the coin toss, he picks which side he defends. So yep. uh, go ahead.
1: All
0: right. I'll All right. You can call it in the air. Or
1: <laughs> uh, I'll call it heads. Let's see what happens. Okay.
0: You go on heads. Here we go. Yeah. All right, well, it's tails, so oh, man, ah, <laughs> yep.
1: can't win them all.
0: Yep, yep. So Apparently um, I, I
1: can't win that one either. <laughs>
0: I, I I think I'll I'll go with uh, professional breeders. I'll, I'll really uh, oh. Yeah. I'll, ah, I'll I like that this. Now. Yeah, <laughs>
1: nice. So okay. you're
0: uh, kind of taking hobbyist breeder. Um All right, Hopefully so I don't um, let them down. it seems like a lot of people um, in the industry get into breeding reptiles and they have that dream of becoming a full-time breeder, right. To be able to pay the bills and, and breed reptiles and uh, make a living that way. And so, um, you know, I think, there's, there's room for, for that. And and there's definitely a need for that, right? So we've got a, a fairly good size industry. There's a lot of people that want reptiles. And it almost seems like with this uh, pandemic, we've seen kind of a shortage, like people, there's not a lot of reptiles around. And we also see as uh, different countries put restrictions on, and, and again, this pandemic might bring some legislation along with it that's that's not really beneficial to our our uh, hobby or our, our industry. And so um, without professional breeders or breeders that are putting the time in and the space in and the money in to get different projects, um, we, we may lose a lot of, a lot of different reptiles to herpetoculture. So I think, you know, it's very important that we have a source for captive bred animals and you know, that, that generally goes along with, uh, with the professional breeder. So I would kind of lead with that statement that we definitely need people that are invested, you know, have a big, uh, big operation business that they can produce, uh, fairly good numbers that they can distribute those numbers across the United States and, and also around the world for, uh, those interested in the species they're working with. So I'll kind of lead with that, uh, that yeah. um, statement. So let's, Absolutely. let's see what you got for the, the other side there.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think I, 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 you know, I, I'm not going to disagree with that, but I, I'm on the other side. So here I disagree. Uh, I think, you know, conversely, uh, we're, we're definitely seeing, uh, changes, uh, in, 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 uh, global environment. We're seeing, um, you know, economic issues we're seeing, uh, the pandemic and how that's playing out in legislation. And so, um, I think the, the private hobbyist, you know, um, it is kind of the small guy but it allows them to focus uh, a lot more succinctly on um you know stuff that that is rare and 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 hard becoming harder to find less and less uh animals are being imported from these countries uh that that used to be pretty easy for us to get animals, uh, from. And so, you know, I think there's definitely, uh, an opportunity for the hobbyist breeder to, spec, like I have a little bit with the Tracy eyes is kind of specialize, uh, and, and be that, um, that, that niche that, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't really, um, get, uh, it isn't out in the front of, of kind of the reptile industry, uh, that we commonly see at shows. And, and, uh, I think that, you know, um, a lot of the success that I feel like I've had is because I've, I've been able to kind of focus a little bit and not maintain a giant collection that that I have to absolutely um, produce because I have overhead or I have all these other considerations. Um, so I think it, it, it gives opportunity uh, where you know perhaps maybe the professional um, can afford to uh, you know risk. Uh, so I, I mean. I, you know i i definitely um and and you know i think that um a lot of uh, the the um opportunities around facebook and social media and even these podcasts have come from not large-scale industry you know i mean you do see that don't get me wrong there's Big guys with YouTube channels doing crazy stuff, but uh, there's also you know that small, very focused uh, hobbyist uh, who's coming on and kind of sharing their thing and 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 doing their thing. So you know, I, I think that it's an opportunity for the small guy to contribute in a way um, and and share some of that specialized stuff uh, that they're doing, uh, and and you know, as a whole, um, continue to be that kind of overarching shell, uh, for, uh, an, an even more stressed, uh, environmental ecology that we're seeing, um, have problems. And, and it, it's unfortunate, you know, for, from my, my aspect, uh, or, or the way I see it is that, uh, you know, the. The harder the problems get and the more um, we see environmental destruction, deforestation, uh, global climate shift, the more um, these countries tend to clamp down on on animals. So they become harder to get. And, um, you know, it's it's leveraging in the wrong direction, in my opinion, because you you see, um, you know, animals being harder and harder to get meanwhile, their habitats are being destroyed. Well, you know, they're going to disappear with no habitat. So, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a, um, you know, a a stacked problem. Um, And so, you know, um, I think that's where the best, you know, the, one of the best avenues for for hobbyists is, and, and there's, we still can get so much cool stuff uh, that's rare and, and, and and even endangered. And um, I think, you know, the hard part, uh, uh, not to, not, not to, uh, poo poo my side, but, uh, it is not getting those hard to breed or rare things in the right people's hands. Um, and, you know, honestly, sometimes breeding rare stuff's a learning curve, you know, uh, it's not, you know, um, well,
0: I'll, I'll, jump in there because, uh, you know, I think that's where the, the professional breeders, I mean, they're, they're vested you know, they're not going anywhere and they're also, you know, you've got to be pretty skilled to kind of stick around and, and continue it it being a professional breeder. And, um, you know, hobbyists can come and go, they can, you know, sell their collections, you know, in a short amount of time and move on and do different things, maybe come back later, but a professional breeder, you know, they're dependent on that to, for their income. So they're definitely going to be, um, good at what they do at least you know as far as marketing or or you know i think in a lot of ways they start out being the expert you know they start out Mm -hmm. of course they start out as a hobbyist but then they keep it going so i would contend that uh you know with that experience and and breeding things well enough to make it a full-time business probably um means that they're the best In in a lot of cases to have some of those rare species, because if you have a lot of rare species in the hands of a hobbyist and things go south or they need to focus on their work more or they're, you know, they have a kid and their wife says, you know, get rid of them. You know, the hobbyist can just get rid of those things, right? And then you see a lot of animals getting passed around. And a lot of times those collections don't go to one person. They're just trying to liquidate them. So they sell them quick to make a good buck. And then, and then, you know, those animals usually don't do so great afterwards. It's not like they're moving the whole project to one person in, in most cases, you know, most people can't, especially if it's a rare or an expensive, you know, group of reptiles, they're only able to get maybe one or two animals animals from that collection, and then the rest kind of gets split up. So even if you do have a, a good project from a hobbyist, um, and if they can't do it anymore, then, you know, that's kind of a, a problem. And maybe that's a topic for another discussion. But I would yeah, say I, if I, you're, if oh, go ahead.
1: No. Well, I was just going to say, no, and I agree with you. I I don't, I don't think any of that's off point, but I also think that, you know, uh, the, the easy way out of that for a professional breeder is just breed stuff. That's fairly easy to breed. Right. I mean, that's why, you know, that's why a lot of, uh, professional breeders, um, like ball Python morphs and things like that, because they're not that hard to breed. They're fairly reliable and, and they have a fairly steady market share, you know, uh, So, I I mean, and I do hear what you're saying and, 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 you know, I, I think that most professional breeders can have their kind of off to the side likes and and stuff like that. But, you know, how many professional breeders do you know, knocking Bolin's pythons out of the water? Yeah, I I mean, and, and
0: you've got a point that, that breeders have to kind of focus on those things, but at the same time, um, you know, if they've got the facilities, they've got the room and, and we do see a few of those, uh, people who have selected to, to focus on reptiles for their, for their professional, um, business. Then we do see some of those guys, uh, quite a few of them having those, um, I guess you call them side projects, but I, I would contend that those are part of their, their breeding projects. So, you know, it's hard to say that's a side project because if they're successful, of course, it's going to be a benefit to their business. What what big breeder doesn't want to have the that kind of uh, prestige of of being a, a bowens py, python breeder or, or breeding some other rare or difficult to work with species? So yeah, um, I,
1: I and, do. And, and, think- And I mean, it's easy for them to have it off to the side. Right. And if they start, Mm -hmm. if they start getting a pair that are start producing for them continuously. Cool. Great. Good. That's just, you know, um, that's just, you know, more, uh, more gold for the treasure box. Uh, but I, you know, I don't, I don't think that you see, um, you don't you don't see big breeders making those animals main focuses. Why? Because they're hard to breed, because they're inconsistent breeders, because they take a lot of time. And when you hold a lot of overhead, uh, when you, you know, c- potentially uh, couldn't produce for a couple of years, you're, you're kind of a farmer, man. If your crop goes bad a couple of years, you're, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Uh, and so, you know, uh, h- high risk um, you know, potentially high reward, but also highly dangerous. And, and that's why, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy for them to put, you know, uh, an animal like Boland's pythons in, in, in the lineup, but, but you don't see them doing it as a, as a main thing. Uh, and, and I guess that goes to my point of, you know, hobbyist breeders can specialize and that's why they can knock stuff like Bolin's pythons out because that, you know, that a big, a big breeder is just going tub to tub, to tub, to tub, to tub, to tub, tub, doing what he needs to do to get animals fed and conditioned and, and keep them healthy. Whereas, you know, that hobbyist breeder is not, he, he he's checking in on his stuff. He's watching it. He's, he's making little mental notes. He's going year to year. Um, and he's, bleeding money right out his nose every year because he's not making money off of it. But on the converse side, when it hits, it's nice. You know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. and I think that, that, that that the hobbyist can provide some, some valuable detail to, to the professional breeders. um, Even though those professional breeders are the quote unquote pros uh, uh, you know, in, in, in the field um, because they, you know, they do produce a lot of animals, but I, I, I guess my, you know, thing is like, w- what animals are they producing?
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, but I would, I would, you know, as long as we're talking about pythons, I would say, who, who is the biggest name in pythons? What, what name comes to mind when you think of pythons, it's the barkers, right? And how yeah. many hard to breed, difficult to breed species have they produced? They've done it. I mean, their, their count of how many species they've, they've bred exceeds as anyone, as far as I know. So, yes. and they've been around a very long time and have, have done a very good job at this. So, um, again, you know, those professional breeders that have a lot of years under their belt, a lot of knowledge that, you know, where their livelihood depends on them, knowing their reptiles, I think is, is very important. Um, and, and, and very, you know, probably the basis of the industry here is, is having those um, breeders that can produce um, uh, the animals that we, that we need in, in mm-hmm.
1: Um, You know,
0: of course they, they have their bread and butter species, but most of them don't just work with those bread and butter species, but have quite a few other, maybe more rare or more difficult to breed species. So I would, I would uh, say that Again, you know, that that longevity, that uh, consistency, that's probably uh, a a little bit more important and uh, and and also requires um, that dedication and that uh, um, will to to keep it going, you know, and so they, they need that to, to keep going. So, um, it puts a little more pressure and, but also, uh, can, can be uh, a little more rewarding in some ways as well. So, um, I'm not saying it's for, for everybody or that, that, you know, there, there's a limit to how many professional breeders there can be, I would say, because, you know, once you get to a certain saturation point, you know, you're beyond that. I believe, um, Alan Rapashi gave a talk at a, at a conference that I was, uh, attending and speaking at as well. And he talked about professional breeders in the U S and, and said that there was room for, I think, you know, 50 to a hundred or something. And that was, you know, a decade or more ago. And so, you know, we, we, there, there can, there, there's room for quite a few of these breeders. And, uh, Um, I, I would, I guess I would say a professional breeder, you know, maybe defining it as, is somebody who depends on their livelihood for, but through breeding reptiles. So, um, or, or, you know involving reptiles in some way because there's more ways than one to to kind of make a living with reptiles there's there's a lot of people who have been educators and and you know youtube stars or whatever you want to call them that are using um, reptiles and educating people about reptiles so
1: i mean are we also including people who import for a living who who bring animals in and and sell them as their primary source of income because they're 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 a part of the market too and i mean i Honestly, you know, if it wasn't for Cam at Bushmasters, I wouldn't have my Tracy eye. So, exactly. you know, yeah. um, you're, you're, you're
0: helping me win the the debate here. So, yeah, thank you. Well, you, you know, <laughs> I'm
1: just I, I'm just saying I'm just saying that that there's yeah. a well there's a whole downside to that as well. <laughs> right. But, um, you know,
0: <laughs> but you said it's very very important. And we need those guys or yeah. else we wouldn't have the species we do. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. Somebody like Cam, who's been around so long, has been doing this for a very long time and is connected. You know, he's got those connections that you just can't build overnight. You know, you've got to have mm-hmm. those connections to be able to, to get things from certain areas and you almost have to specialize. It seems like he specializes in a, a few different areas of the world and can get uh, stuff that's uh, maybe difficult uh, to get.
1: And, and and to be clear, I mean, you know, uh, I, I did use importers as a, a source of professional breeding, but a lot of the people who are buying those animals are hobbyists. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of those animals are hard to get; they're they're not produced in captivity, so they're they're wild caught animals that uh, need to be established in, in captivity and and um, you know put put in uh, to to a successful breeding program. So, um, I, in you know, um, I'm not saying that there's not professional breeders doing that, but a lot of where those animals end up is in the hobbyists hands. Well,
0: I, I would say that, um, for, for people like, uh, some of these importers where they, typically have some, some people, uh, generally professional breeders that are close by that have their kind of finger on the poles. not to say that a hobbyist can't get some of those animals, but I, I imagine that the first pass is usually through somebody who's doing this for their livelihood. Because if you're if you're uh waiting for an importer to give you a heads up when he gets something in, you really have to stay on top of that. And so if you're the one that's uh, you know, your your business depends on you getting some different animals or different projects. And and sometimes they're they're getting those projects to then sell to hobbyists, you know, as kind of a maybe flipping them um as part of their their business uh, model um so they they do need to have those uh connections with the importers as well and they're the ones that are going over there when the shipments come in they've got a good you know friendship or or professional association with these importers and the big breeders are the ones the professional breeders are the ones that are able to get those animals before anybody else. And so they can kind of pick out the best specimens, the youngest specimens to raise up and, or maybe a gravid specimen to get some, you know, uh, captive born animals right, right away and give them that advantage
1: in, in different breeding projects. So, so basically what you're saying is you win because of me. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, you win because maybe that it. part of the topic. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> those, those pro breeders, you know, they, they get in there and get the job done and, and, you know, make sure they have the animals they need. And, and you know, I, I think that's, that's an important part of the hobby. Um, and a lot of times they'll get things established and move on animals that they maybe don't fit into their projects or they need to move, you know, um, for, for one reason or another. But, yeah. but they're the ones getting that first pass on, on the animals that come into importers a lot of times. Sure. Um, did you get yours for, directly from an importer or were did, were you able to get your Tracy um, directly or did you have to get them from a kind of a middleman, I guess?
1: Well, ca- ca- they came from cam. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, obviously cam bought from somebody or, or, or exported them himself, but, uh, yeah, mine, mine were, you know, good shape. I, I never, I never did anything with them, never wormed them, never nothing, nothing Mm. just Mm. kept them, acclimated them, bred them done. So, um, yeah, I, and, and, you know, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, to continue, um, you know, it's one of those things where, um, most people are, um, who who get into reptiles or start out as an enthusiast uh, and then they become a keeper and then they end up a, a, a breeder, a hobbyist breeder. And and I would say that's a, the, the, that, that is a uh, reliable trajectory for a lot of reptile people. Um, and, and I think it's very natural. I think they're, you know, part of the, the fascination for us mammals is how different reptiles are than we are. And, um, you start to get interested in, you know, the physiology and the reproductive biology and, oh, wow, I can do this. Other people do this. I can do this. That's awesome. That's cool. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I understand that, you know, uh, how, how important the professional breeder is in, in, in supplying a lot of those hobbyists, uh, with, with animals, but without hobbyists, uh, which are, you know, um, your evolved, uh, entry level keeper, none of this happens anyway. So, you know, it, 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 I think maybe we're talking chicken and the egg argument here a little bit. Um, but, um, (laughs) you know, I, 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 I the, the,
0: the the professional breeders definitely need somebody to buy their animals. So, you know, definitely hobbyists have their place, but I, but I think when you're talking like, who is this, who is this industry built on? I would, I would, say it would be more along the lines of the, the professional breeder or the people who, you know, dedicate their lives to keeping and breeding these animals. Um, it's, you know, of course, the the hobbyist breeder has a place in this, but without the professional breeders, I, I would also like to bring up the topic of, um, you know, how, how we keep this going, right? With all the legislation coming down the pipeline and we see that usually the or, or you know the the professional breeders are on the forefront of fighting these issues you know contribute by th- either through contributing animals or contributing um, different products or supplies for for raffles or auctions where they uh, get money to support uh, places like US ark and uh, off of course shout out to us arc which is uh, defending our our rights as hobbyists and, and keepers and and professional
1: breeders and professional course. breeders yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> of, of course yeah and and you know the the fact that there are professional breeders and and people generating uh revenue through through the reptile trade um really uh that that's what uh is going to speak to politicians and other things. If they see that it's going to have a negative economic impact to stop the reptile trade, that that's going to make them think, twice rather than, you know, a bleeding heart hobbyist that says, I really want to keep my snakes and, you know, money talks when it comes to those kind of things, a lot of times. So I think, uh, you know, when fighting legislation, you need those big players who again are vested, they need to keep this going so they can support their families. And so they need the reptile, uh, hobby and trade to be viable or else, you know, they're out of a job. Whereas the hobbyist can be like, well, that's a bummer, but they can move on and and keep their day job kind of thing, you know? So um, they're going to be on the forefront of fighting that legislation and contributing lots of resources. I mean, you see the, the different companies, reptile based companies that are, contributing tens of thousands, if not more, uh, dollars to, to the cause of, you know, use U.S. or, or other organizations that are out there to help fight those, uh, legislative initiatives. So, um, again, those professional breeders are, are very key in that effort and very important to keeping the hobby alive. What yeah. you got for me, man, what you got?
1: Well, um, <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, I, I, so a, a study that, uh, was done, and I think this was done, um, kind of when the first, uh, wave of legislation came out after us and U S art kind of commissioned a study, uh, for, uh, uh, from Georgetown, uh, economic services that kind of mm-hmm. looked at the, the, the total, um, you know, uh, profit that is created by the reptile industry. Um, and, it, and it said in 2009 that, uh, uh, 4.7 million U S households owned 13.6 million pet reptiles. So, um, you know, that, that, uh, that certainly is a big number and, uh, you know, no doubt, uh, you know, to be honest, uh, you, you, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's kind of one of those things where, uh, uh, of course the professional breeders pay in U S arc because they, they can't afford to lose, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 um, I think, you know, you definitely see the hobbyist um, asking uh, for, um, you know, everyone to support. So I think from, you know, in an omission of honesty, uh, you, you definitely get uh, the plus when it comes to the legislative portion of it. And and so, you know... Um, uh, and I, I, you know, I think maybe some of that comes out of selfish interest, but, um, all, all to a good, all to a good cause. Right. Um, yeah. and, and I, and I think, but, you know, conversely, uh, I think that, uh, there's an awful lot of reptile keepers, hobbyist reptile keepers out there who are putting in, you know, um, money. Um, and so, you know, if you go back to your, Alan Rapashi, uh, 50 professional reptile breeders, uh, in the U S argument versus the number of hobbyist breeders. Uh, I would be interested to see how those numbers parse out. I, I, I mean, you know, I think you could look back to, uh, grassroots, um, election campaigns and see how Bernie Sanders did with a, with a grassroots campaign, uh, of, of small donations from, um, all of his, um, you know, uh, potential voters versus how, uh, the RNC did with, a a, a lot of these super PACs and, and big money. Um, and he, he really, uh, came through hard. So, you know, uh, smaller donations, larger numbers, um, smaller numbers, larger donations. Uh, I I don't know how that works out exactly. I'm not sure what the money, uh, distribution looks like, but I certainly think that, uh, hobbyist breeders can, can be, um, out at the forefront of contributions to stave off a lot of this. And, And let's be honest, you know, 50 50 large reptile breeders versus hundreds of hobbyist breeders who are putting inputs and and if you truly believe that these lawmakers listen to 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 the average person um you know and and i think if you're looking at a state level um absolutely they do those lawmakers listen to their constituents maybe at a federal level i i don't know anymore I'm, i'm not too and and you know to stay out of the political debate here but um you know i, I certainly think and i remember when we had a uh, um the a potential ban of reptiles in my city chula vista and uh, a a group of us hobbyists showed up there um um lauren from triple l was there um so but but what really killed it in my opinion, from just being there was the number of people who showed up and, and those people were in large part, you know, weren't big reptile people. They were small hobbyist breeders and they Mm -hmm. shut that down. They shut that down real quick. So,
0: you know, definitely have a, have a place, but I think, you know, when you're talking, Big, big dollars. You know, usually if if a keeper has an, an extra 10 bucks in their pocket, you know, they're, they're probably going to want to spend it on their, on another reptile or something, you know, but if you're trying to keep your, your dream alive, you're going to, you're going to donate a lot more to the cause. So you know, maybe, maybe the, the amount of, from the smaller breeders makes up for what the, the big breeders contribute. Um, it would be an interesting to, I guess we should have looked into that. Right. <laughs> got that. Yeah. Got I mean, data I, from USR yeah, or th- there,
1: there. there's a, um, yeah. I, and, and, and I mean, I, I think there's probably, to be honest, there's probably, you know, that, that study was done specifically to make an, uh, a specific economic argument at a time. So I, I, I'm not so sure that's something that's really gets tracked or, or has been tracked, you know, long-term yeah. and that, that, that'd be interesting to know. I, I, I would sure. like to know that, you know. Um, I, I want to go
0: back to the, to the topic about uh, the, um, you know, being able to keep uh, difficult to breed species or, or rare projects. And I, I had something that came to mind uh, that I wanted to kind of uh, counter what you're saying with that, because there, uh Casey Lazic Produced quite a few hard to breed or difficult to breed species, and he had a very illustrious career as a as a professional breeder, and uh, you know continues to breed some really cool stuff. But, um, and I and I would say if if it weren't for him and and others like him, we wouldn't have a lot of these species, especially the Australian species in in the hobby. So, um, you know he he put in that work, and and he was kind of niche, right, or niche. Mm-hmm. Was a uh, nipper. Prefer. Niche. What niche? Niche. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. So we 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 want to be able to uh, um, obviously there's there's keepers that can do those uh, niche species and and do very well and you know support the families and things so and and that was where his his revenue was coming from was you know these difficult to breed uh you know blackheads womas people weren't able to really breed those back in the day and go pythons you know there weren't a lot of people that were successful with those and uh and also he was able to put forth the capital needed and he was able to uh or or you know being a professional breeder demanded that time and effort to get these different projects into his hands you know through uh different different ways but uh he was able to get those and and to make sure that we were able to keep uh centralian carpets or you know angolan pythons because he produced so many of them (laughs) and made those available to to uh you know smaller breeders or hobbyist breeders but um that you know that that effort and that requirement is really difficult for a hobbyist breeder to to put out there
1: absolutely absolutely no that's and you know i I think uh you know uh, uh we all stand on the backs of giants uh and uh you know casey's definitely one of those guys uh yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly, I, I can't argue with that. I, I mean, I, I think. So another that,
0: point, you give me another point, Chuck. Oh,
1: I, I, you know what, easy, Justin? <laughs> I, I, I always give credit where credit is due. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think you know, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, it it's hard because. I'm sure Casey wasn't always a professional breeder. At one point he was a hobbyist who, uh, found a way to get animals into this country and he, you know, made a great name for himself. And, um, you know, now he's kind of moved on to different, different animals and he keeps doing cool stuff and it affords him that ability. And, and so, you know, um, you know, any professional breeder is just a hobbyist who was good enough to, uh, keep going for a living, uh, at it. Uh, I mean, you know, I, (laughs) I mean, and so, you know, um, or, or, or,
0: had, you know, business sense. Cause there's oh, of course there's some that, that uh, can ar- arrange or buy from other breeders or import or things like that. So I, I would include those guys in there too. And, and really, you know, if you have the, the business sense to, to make this work, um, that's also, you know, that's no small feat either. Cause a lot yeah. of people can breed reptiles, but you also see a lot of hobbyists producing these hard to get species, but then they don't have much business sense. And so when they become hard to sell, They drop their prices. They keep dropping their prices until they can sell their animals. So they devalue projects in a lot of instances that would otherwise maybe remain stronger for a longer time. And, you know, as a small (laughs) hobbyist breeder, I've been guilty of that to some extent, you know, where it's difficult to to carry on a project and to, to maintain that value. When you, when you've, when you're running out of room or, you know, you don't have the space to keep all these babies and you got to move some, you're like, well, maybe I'll lower the price. Whereas a, a professional breeder um, would probably be less likely to do that, would hold the prices more firm. And so in a lot of ways, the hobbyist breeders make it difficult for those professional breeders to, to keep um, different projects going to keep you know values higher or keep projects in the limelight because as soon as a project devalues in a lot of ways that devalues the the type the species right so you see sure. species disappearing not necessarily because they're not cool species or they're they're not important to herpetoculture, but because, you know, hobbyist breeders lose interest because there's not a flashy morph or there's something like that. And so the, the professional breeders can't justify the space and the time and effort to keep some of those because there's nobody, you know, that's interested or buying them. So they, they might reduce that population within their, uh, collections, uh, you know substantially in some regards
1: well and i think anybody who remembers uh the, the albinos and and the chris proctor uh you know uh trajectory of of that the project <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. man that was that was rough to watch you know yep. <laughs> um but and you know at, at the same time like um you know, when you, you get Let, guys. Let's, oh, let's
0: tell that story real quick, because that, that's an important, you know, point for me. Right. <laughs> because, um, Chris Proctor, who was a hobbyist, he bought these really expensive, um, albino carpets. No, and No, no, no.
1: He was funded. <laughs> he was funded by, uh, I, I think yeah. it was, I think it was his, his dad's, some, some uh, associates of his dad's and in yeah, an, so, an investment, so no- in an investment business venture. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I don't know if that's kind of that's a hobbyist you know, thing or whether yeah. you're you're you wanting to be a a professional breeder. There, I don't know how yeah. how that how we classify that. But but yes, yeah. clearly he yeah. he took he took other people's money. Uh, mm-hmm. And he he acquired those animals, um, and, and, and he, bred he them. I mean, it, so he absolutely yeah. bred them. Yeah, yep. And produced and, the
0: first albinos that were captive bred in the United States. But then they weren't. E- it's not easy to sell a you know a ten thousand dollar animal or a twenty. How I can't remember how much he was. Trying to them I, I, I'll be honest but with you. Price dropped. It was up there. dropped yeah. daily. You know, almost yeah. like and well, then and, he, it, and then, mm-hmm. and he 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 you're you're kind of frozen. I, I don't know if we can hear you or not, but he yeah, he kind right. of no. Nah,
1: you're good he valued
0: that project pretty quick and he sold it as you know for what else, whatever he could get. And then he basically yeah. got out of the reptiles. and and I heard he moved I on think- to I mean he was a local guy. He moved on to to falconry and and falconry, falcon, right? yeah, a that's, yeah. friend. That said he did the exact same thing with Falconry. He just yeah. got bored and ditched it and so, sold all his stuff, you know?
1: So hobbyists can to, Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I would say pe- I say people can make a mess of things and sure, and you sure. you you can be well, a give me a, an
0: example of a pro breeder that's done that can you think of anything i mean that's a, that's a great example to my point that you know professional breeders if if they're professional breeders they've been around and they can kind of maintain the the course and, and keep those projects going right? I, mean, I mean we don't necessarily need to name names maybe that's not the the best well, thing well i can think of a cer- I can think of a certain We're not pulling
1: punches uh, right? i can think of a certain individual who is a uh, was a is a, is was is a youtube sensation who Completely went from selling animals uh, professionally to just uh, paying admission uh, to to for people to see animals. So Mm -hmm. you know, not not every professional, um, you know, uh, is necessarily good. At their business model or long term. Um, And I think they're supporting themselves still through that. You know, it's is that not well? And I I think, yes, but I think, I think the quality of your business practices speaks well to your longevity. And if you bring poor business practices, eventually you're going to get poor results because word gets around that you're not on an, you're not the up and up guy. Um, yeah. so, you know, that, and, and that doesn't matter if you're a, 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 you know, a hobbyist who sells animals here and there, or whether you're a professional who sells animals, if you're not, if you're not a straight shooter, um, that gets around. And, and especially in small communities like the carpet community, um, you know, the names, names get tossed pretty fast. Um, so, hmm. you know, I, I mean, I, I, I definitely think that, um, you, you can, you can make a, an argument, um, both, both ways, uh, poor business practice, uh, by a professional, uh, or poor, poor business practice by an aspiring hobbyist, um, you know, b- both lead to the same thing. And, um, you know, uh, are, are albinos still selling? Yeah. I mean, are people still producing them? Yeah. And maybe, maybe they're actually valued at, at the price point that they should be. And so maybe what we're talking about is um, professionals who um, get into these projects and they're so invested in, in financially in the initial of this and they try to wind it out uh, top down rather than price it accordingly and sell it over the long period, which I mean, if you're a professional and you're hot at it, you, you got it knocked down every year. Boom, 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 boom. Um, wouldn't wouldn't that be a, a safer business strategy rather than um, basically selling to your competition at a high value that you know next year is going to be less. And hey, um Does that, does, is that the individual professional breeder's problem? No, not necessarily. But is, is, is every customer who, who bought first, second, third going to be upset? Uh, because the price of that, the price of that project is going to be at, uh, its level market value by the time possibly that first breeder, uh, is able to get his animals ready to reproduce, right? So, sure. yeah, I mean, you know, I, guess I think,
0: th- this is a unique hobby too, where, um, you know, we, we don't neuter the animals, you know, they don't, they don't go out, uh, non-reproductive. So basically you're setting up your, your competitors by selling them the animals. So that, you know, that, sure. um, well, and I, be, I, I
1: do, I do think there's some nuance to it too. I mean, I do think there's animals that, um, that, that will never, that, that just don't reproduce, you know, that they're. Yeah they i don't know you know like i've had animals that there's no reason they shouldn't but they just didn't you know and i right. i couldn't tell you why um you know i, I i've
0: i've got another uh, uh another good example of of how professional breeders can really keep keep the industry moving and that's of uh, bert langworth where he had uh, you know he was producing uh, just so many different Australian water dragons and, and, and a lot of different species, but I was interested in Australian water dragons. So that sticks out to me. And now you look around and, and they're very difficult to find and they're very expensive because I, even though he was producing a lot of animals, everybody just figured, well, you know, Bert will do it, or or I'll just leave that to Bert. And there was nobody that was, Um, I guess, uh, caring about the species or, or looking to the species. So even though a lot of, um, small hobbyist breeders, including myself, bought animals from Bert, um, when he, when he passed away, there was nobody really that, that could, keep that going like there there's still very uh small availability for australian water dragons and now they're very high in demand and the price has rocketed and there are a few people that are working with them and producing them but nowhere to the extent that he was and so you know that's been a big loss to to the industry when that just very successful and and business savvy person um you know left us and uh and you know it's just shows the the importance of professional breeders in this in this industry
1: well and i mean i think conversely you you know uh ed bradley the 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 chondro breed the longtime Condro breeder told me a story about uh dick bartlett the the uh the gentleman in florida who man he dick is just into everything right mm-hmm. and uh back in the day uh gary sipperly and the Larry Blacks and all those guys that, that, that were, um, that, that we know now as lineage named carpets got all their stuff from Dick Bartlett. So, Mm and, and, and so when carpets became, you know, passe, everybody kept a car, every, every hobbyist breeder kept a, a pair of carpets. Um, but, but the Dick Bartlett moved on to other stuff. Cause it just wasn't like he can't sell it, so he's got to move on. So you know, when you, when you talk about maintaining species, um, uh, you know, over the long haul, as I said in, in early on, the reservoir will always be in the hobbyist breeder because the professional breeder at some level will always have to chase the market, and, and the hobbyist breeder can, you know, he doesn't have to. He does absolutely does not have to. Now. Well, I-
0: I, I would counter that with uh, one name and, and our good friend, uh, Nick Mutton, where, you know, uh, maybe Dick Bartlett moved away from, carpet pythons but nick's been consistently breeding you know carpet pythons for a uh, quite a long time and you know it doesn't show any signs of stopping you know he's got he's got a collection of centralian carpets that would rival any in the world for the most part and so you know he's he's got that and he he's been very successful with that so you can still be a professional breeder and still make a, a you know a complete living through this industry through um, niche or niche species um, that uh, maybe people have maybe have fallen out of the limelight, and I think that also goes along with uh, your your business sense. If you can promote that species, if you have the you know the the business sense to be able to get out there and and get people excited about the species you're working with it doesn't really matter what you're producing. You know, and Bert, Bert was a good example of that too, because, you know, he specialized in things that he could keep outdoors in Alabama. He didn't chase what everybody wanted. He bred species that he could reliably keep outdoors and produce in a naturalistic setting, which is, is another cool, you know, business uh, model uh, for reptiles and, and, you know, basically let nature provide what they need and, 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 he kind of just supports them in that. So um, a couple of good examples of professional breeders that have, that have done very well with, with species that haven't, you know, that kind of go against that following the market idea. Um, so,
1: well, uh, uh, okay. I, 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 <laughs> I hear, I hear what you're saying, but anybody who um, has been in, in carpets long haul remembers when Nick mutton only exclusively and emphatically dealt with pure animals mm-hmm. and that's not the case anymore Be, and and mm-hmm. I, I mean you know i I, yeah. I i'm not saying that he completely abandoned that he absolutely is still running projects that he's had but you know a, as a consideration he it, 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 to continue to put food on his table he had this to expand his horizons a little bit and so he 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 got into morphs you know Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. and he's he's knocking that out of the box, but you know. So I, I mean, I I, I yeah, hear what he you're saying. It's not a bad, to, yeah, yeah. To, and you know, and I, I, I'm not I'm not saying it's a bad example, but I think there's also you know there's always considerations, and and you can definitely see examples of people whose um you know their uh you you know their viewpoint changes based on their bottom line, and and there's nothing, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That has to happen as a professional breeder. Like there's no uh, if, ands or buts about it. I mean, there, you know, if, if your, your, your stope was breeding something nobody ever cared about, good luck. I mean, yeah. um. so, I I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, but you know, um, I, I mean, if Nick was still breeding, you know, pure pure lineage carpets uh, exclusively I, I would lay down and and show you my belly, but I, I'm not I'm not quite <laughs> gonna do that yet.
0: I I think I think he he for his breeding projects he's got pure species, but he was importing from Paul, and so he was importing crosses and and different morph variants that were crossed between subspecies. Well, and
1: I think he's doing some I think he's doing some I think he's doing some pairings too.
0: <laughs> I mean, um, he's not breeding a Centralian with a with a you know a, a diamond or anything like that.
1: You know, he's not well. He's not I mean. That. Mick has but, standards, you know, that's that he, but he I mean, was that.
0: importing, you know, some, some, uh, some of those morphs and, and mutations that were, that were in some cases, potentially. Absolutely. I, mean, I, don't know. I don't think, I don't know that he listens to podcasts. He, he told me he doesn't listen to this stuff. So I guess we can talk about him all we want, but well, <laughs> no. we'll find out how much trouble <laughs> yeah. we get in. I guess he'll have some informants out there that'll maybe give him a heads up. But, um, but I, but I do think that he's, he's tried to maintain that uh, that purity and that lineage and things like
1: that. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I'm not saying anything to the otherwise Um, I think Nick has done a great job and, and, you know, for a guy, I'm just making the point, like for a guy who went from, you know, uh, a hobbyist, uh a, a large hobbyist breeder to a professional he did make a pivot and there's i mean there's that's there's not in my mind there's not an argument there i'm not saying it's right or wrong i'm not saying there's anything wrong with it i get it a hundred percent but yeah. you know nonetheless i'm just making the point um
0: yeah. yeah well um we're coming up on an hour uh i guess we can uh, continue on if you've got some some pressing points. I, I think I've maybe exhausted a lot of my talking points, but if you've got anything else you want to end on, maybe we can have maybe a summary. But I would say that um, from the aspect of keeping the hobby alive um, through fighting legislation um, to uh, keeping, you know people supplied with captive bred animals that were produced within the United States um, that can, you know, ship them to you, you know, basically overnight and have that easy access rather than having to wait for months or years to import something from another country um, to having those healthy captive bred animals and uh, having some longevity, you know, having people that, that are doing it consistently over the long haul, it, professional breeders take the win in, in, in that regard. So that would be my, uh, my contention for having, you know, the importance and, and the kind of the, the professional breeders would kind of, um, take the cake in that regard in supporting the hobby and keeping things. Sure.
1: Right. I, I understand that view. I mean, I, I think there's, you know, there there definitely is a place for professional breeders. I think when you look at the professional breeders who supply big chains like Petco and PetSmart, and you look at the quality of some of those animals, they, they certainly do take the cake and maybe not always in the best of ways. Um, so, you know, bigger isn't, in my opinion, always better. Uh, and And, you know, I'll go back to what I said in the beginning is that I think that hobbyist breeders are the reservoir for the species that we need to be paying attention to. Ball pythons are not going anywhere. Carpet pythons are not going anywhere. They are not hard to breed animals, but where you're going to find success is in the hard to breed, um, rare animals that are becoming fewer and fewer in our, in our hobby. And so it is incumbent upon hobbyist breeders to pick up that mantle. And, and I, I feel like I see it every day. I mean, I, I, uh, I'm into, uh, William Psy, uh, and Frank Payne, uh, is just knocking that out of the box. So, you know, uh, a hobbyist breeder, he's a biology teacher. He's articulate, smart, um, and doing a great service to an endangered animal um, and I, I think that you know there's plenty of uh, frank pains out there uh, and so you know I, I well I understand that every everything has its place um, where we are right now in in our society uh, in our um, environmental, catastrophe that 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 is impending to us um i i think that that the hobbyist takes the win there um i think um we have to you know while while economics is important um economics is the extraction of of oftentimes you know unrenewable resources for a, a profit and and you know um we all have jobs and, and the economy supports a lot of these hobbyists in, in their professional life uh, so that they can take and make um, animals that may not be around that much longer. And so for me, that's the, you know, that's the the exclamation point at the end of the sentence.
0: All right. Fair enough. Well, uh, I think we've presented you know the two sides of the coin and and I guess we'll we'll let the listener kind of decide where where they may fall in regards to the the points and the topics we brought up you know you guys can uh declare a winner or declare what side you're you're on but um hopefully we've given you some things to think about and uh some good discussion topics so that was a, a good time chuck yeah uh, yeah thank, thank
1: you. you well mm-hmm. i think i think we should i think we should end by uh you know kind of giving a shout out to the uh the other podcasts that are in the uh, Morelia Pythons radio network um first and foremost you know uh, as always a big ups to uh eric and owen um and you can catch them weekly at morelia python radio um also tune yeah, into going on
0: what 10 years now or yeah, past man it's, it's, it's absolutely fantastic yep to keep something going that long that's really cool but yeah give them a listen they're, they're they've been doing this a long time and they're doing a great job
1: Eric and, Os- Eric and Owen, sorry, uh, there, Owen, uh, have uh, started Herp History. So uh, give that a listen. Uh, and then you can uh, tune in to Eric and Owen in, in Carpet's Cliff Notes. Um, so that's, uh, you know, care and captivity, natural history of the hobby. Um, yeah. Check out a clue.
0: Yeah, a few branch offs for where uh, Owen and, and Riley Jemison have taken on Colubrids in Colubrid Corner. Um, check out that one. Eric and Rob Stone. Rob Stone's a great, great guy and does does a lot of good stuff. He's a really smart guy. Um, but they do Student of the Serpent together. Um, that's a really fun one. I, I think they've only had one episode there. I hope they're having more soon because that's just a really – that's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. It, yeah, shout out to, to Bob Rock,
1: man. Yeah,
0: Bob Rock, he's the man.
1: That's <laughs> Awesome. I love that nickname. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Riley and, and, uh, Eric, uh, do carpets and coffee and they, uh, uh, Lucas is also included in that one. Lucas Lee and, uh, Riley Jimison, Eric Burke and Lucas Lee do carpets and coffee every Monday. Check that out around lunchtime. That's a great one as well.
1: Yeah. The also check out the field herping podcast. That's Eric and Nipper Reed. Um, and then, uh, if you're kind of interested as I am, I know Justin is, in, in monitor keeping, yeah. uh, Alan Stevens and Kai Fan are are, uh, are starting a podcast on monitors. So check them out. I gave that first podcast a listen. I'm I'm pretty excited to hear more. So, um, yeah. and then uh, Lucas Lee is also starting Humans of Herpetoculture. Yep, I've had the
0: pleasure of doing that one, being interviewed by Lucas. Lucas is one of those great up and comers. He's a young guy, um, starting. He's he's actually doing a master's degree in in herpeticulture or herpet- herpetology, um, and so he's he's one to watch. He's he's he does a great job with his podcast and and co hosting the Carpets and Coffee, and he's a, a nice integral part to the Morelia Pythons um, network. Um we've also got a new one another new one the Australian herpetoculture podcast this one's really exciting for me um I, I as a big fan of Australian reptiles and chuck as well I'm sure and Oh yeah uh, I'm,
1: I'm I'm all about this <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's, it's a fun fun to hear them talk about um, herpetoculture from the Australian side. And that's hosted by Luke Netheim and Jason Rogers. Um, so that should be a fun one as well. So quite the list. No, no shortage of things to listen to. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed this podcast as well. And we'll try to keep it going. Try to keep uh, cool topics happening and, and discussing uh, different topics. And kind of giving you both sides of that coin. On uh, Reptile Fight Club, so uh, tune in. Hopefully, uh, we'll have another one for you soon. But um, good times, and I appreciate uh, Chuck and and your your insights and and a good uh, lively debate here. So
1: yeah, thanks for keep listening. It, keep it tough, there, Justin. You, you're yeah. <laughs> you're, good, you're good. You're good with your points, man. I appreciate <laughs> the opportunity. Thanks, everybody, for listening.
0: Yep, we'll catch you soon. Thanks a lot.
1: Boy,